You're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit UpperRoomFrisco.com. Hey, what's up, Frisco? How's everybody doing today? All right, all right. We are, let me tell you this, right? I want you guys to get happy now because it goes the, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, right? There's just, I love the joy that's in my father's house, and I love the fact that I get to have the conversation with you guys. And I read the book of Revelation, and heaven is noisy. Everybody say noisy. noisy. If you're an introvert, you are in trouble because there's thunder and lightning and all this. It's crazy up there, right? So you might as well start training yourself in that. So let's try it one more time. What's up, Frisco? How are you guys doing today? Go. That's what I'm talking about. It's beginning to sound like my father's house. Um, first things first, what's up, Honor? What's up, Honor? I just wanted to, <laughs> to just to honor the, just the father and uh, the pastoral couple in this house. Just uh, Jeremy and uh, Ashley have been walking with me specifically for over a decade, right? And it's been crazy. I'm talking about from the time when I barely crawled, right, into... Um, the house of prayer, the Dallas house of prayer and everything, and just speaking identity, him and Vince and everything, just walking alongside. So a lot of the maturity, right, right, that I speak with or that I walk in is because they've poured into that specifically. So I just wanted to honor and say, hey, listen, there's a lot of instructors, right, but there's not a lot of pastoral fathers, and this man and his wife walk in that anointing. Is that true? Yeah. Amen. If you guys don't mind, let's just honor them real quick, and it was like... Let's go. Oh, my goodness. I, 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 love, I love Jeremy. I love Vince, man. They're just like ride or die kind of people. And so I'm just honored to, to call them friends and everything. Now, we're going to have a conversation. It's a table conversation. Everybody say table. table. Now, how many of you guys have kids right here? Or, 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 or some semblance of like sibling. You've sat at the table with people that you love, right? How many of you guys know that the, most, the, more, the more delicious the food, the messier the food? You know what I'm talking about? When I know I'm going to some good old Texas barbecue, I do not wear white. I can't do it, right? Because the barbecue sauce will always find a way to my white shirt or my white jays or whatever white I am rocking, right? Barbecue sauce and that happens. Why? Because the more delicious, the more rich the food the more messy. I feel like it's the same way with conversation. The richer the conversation, the messier it is, right? So I just wanted you to know, first of all, that we're about to jump into a messy conversation, but it's a rich conversation. It's a beautiful conversation because our father has led the way into this conversation and he's inviting us to the table to have a family discussion. So are we family in this house? Perfect. I love that. Then I feel like I can communicate freely. That's the first thing. The, the, the second thing is that I am from Zimbabwe. In case you guys notice, you're like, where's that accent from, right? Isn't it like God to take some weird guy from Zimbabwe and use him in the racial conversation in America? Isn't that just something God would do, right? So out of context, so out of my league, but that is where he gets to do what he does. Now, in my language and in my culture, uh, it's the same in English. I'm talking about Shakespearean or, or, or ancient English and not American, when you're talking about offense, right, the proper word is you take offense. Everybody say take. Take, take right? That's how you say it, right? You choose to take offense. Now, that has the connotation of choice on the inside of it, right? 
I've noticed that sometimes in our woke culture and everything, people have decided that they're entitled to offense. And people will take liberties with offense even though the intent of the communicator was not to offend, right? So I just want to speak to that spirit right now and arrest it and say, this house is not a house of offense, right? This is a house of truth. This is a house of accountability. And so I just, I just say you are a people of the kingdom. And because of that, you lean into the offense and you choose to take no offense, right? So my intent and my heart is not to offend. So therefore, do not take liberties and be offended. That's the first thing. And if you decide to, then I just want to absolve myself and everyone else here of the responsibility to pander and to cater to your offense, right? If you choose to take offense, then you, the maintenance is on you, my brother, my sister, but we're here, we're at the table, we're having barbecue conversations, and it is going to be good. Is that okay? Awesome. There we go. Thank you so much for your grace in the conversation. The third thing I want to say, right, is um, based on Amos 3.3, and this is what it says. It says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can two people walk together unless they are agreed? Now, I did not know the truth of this conversation or this statement or the depth of this revelation until I got married. Everybody say married. married. I married a beautiful woman, brilliant. She rocks my world. She is incredible. Her name is Pam. We used to come here, so some of you guys may have seen her. If not, go to some of my social media. Like that's, I, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I post about my wife a lot. But she speaks so much life into this, and this gentleman know what a struggle it was to get her. So they're like, post away, right? But, but, but this, this, if you're married, you know this, that men and women operate in completely different cognitive spheres. It's like it's two different planets, right? When I went there and we got, men, don't get in trouble. Don't stay in the doghouse because of me. So just kind of like not really, like don't let your wife catch you agreeing with me on this one. But it was just a... One of those things that I was like, man, I did not know this until it happened. See, because in conversation, right, as men, we suffer from this handicap of wanting to make sense, right? Every conversation has to make sense. We've got to go from point A to point B, right? That's how we communicate. That's how we think. That's how we do all these things, right? Now, ladies, God has gifted them with a very complex processing mechanism to where they can talk sense and then they can talk emotion and then they can talk all these things and those things they can rearrange in whatever order they feel like and it leaves us going how do we get from here to there you know what i'm talking about right so so with that said let's go back to the scripture scripture amos 3 3 can two walk together when they are agreed simple enough babe let's take a road trip to austin it's simple, right? Dallas to Austin. I'm thinking, it's going to be great. We're going to drive and everything. So now when I'm talking about this, I'm thinking, we jump into a car, we drive all the way, we get to Austin, we get out of the car, and we do Austin things. Now, me and her were in agreement, but that about Austin was the only part that we were in agreement with. From there, first of all, we were not in agreement over the route. She wanted to go to some weird place where there's like some weird Cadillacs that are stuck in the ground or something weird like that. And that's not on the way to Austin, right? But first of all, the route, we had to come into agreement with the route. I was like, I assumed we were going to go this way. She's like, no, 
We are going to make it this. I have mapped out this thing here and everything, and she had drawn it out nicely. And babe, what are all the butterflies and all those things doing in here? It doesn't matter. They are on the map, right? <laughs> so the route was the first thing that I was like, okay, yes, we're agreed about that. But how we get to Austin was something that we had to come into congruence we're into, right? That's number one. Number two, the speed. In my mind, Austin is a three-hour drive, right? Now, when my wife hears road trip, right, it's an eight or nine-hour drive. We're going to stop somewhere in whatever part, try out the collages. We're going to take a, a picture at Carl's Corner and everything. We might go into Waxahachie because there's this coffee shop that serves prescription-grade coffee and everything. So, so even the time frame, right, we had to come back to a point of congruence, right? So I could go on and on, but you got to understand that so many times we feel like because we both are going to the same destination, that our timing, our speed, our cadence, and everything lines up. But that is not necessarily the case, right? So I feel like that's what happened with the racial conversation within the U.S., that we all know where we're trying to go and we know what the general direction looks like, but that is about the extent of the things that we are in agreement about. So the call to the racial conversation for us is to go back and go, okay, okay, baseline. Let's go back to the baseline. We agree that we're all supposed to be in revelation, nation, tribe, and town. We're all in there. Now let's talk about how to get there, right? When you say justice, what do you mean as a black man? When you say justice, what do you mean as a white man? When you say entitlement, what do you mean as a black man? When you say entitlement, what do you mean as a white man? And the Lord bringing us to the table is him bringing us to the table of congruence. Does this make sense? So a lot of my conversation today is going to be about establishing specific baselines so that as you move out of this room, then you understand that when you say this, not the racial, not the American, but the kingdom definition of what this is, is this. Because let me, say, let me tell you something very unpopular and uh, potentially um, disturbing, if I can put it that way. We are called to kingdom before patriotism. We are called to king before we're called to country. See, now that's very, that's easier said than done because we have no social reference, sociological reference for what kingdom looks like, right? Because America is a republic, right? It's a democratic republic. So we democratically elect our leaders, but a republic means the people that we elect then make the decisions on our behalf. But because, right, we, we, we are not a, a kingdom, we're sovereign, so we set up a two-party system for checks and balances so that that person who we elect does not abuse their powers, right? So we are a republic. That means in the American system, we don't understand fundamentally simple things like sovereignty, right? But I am from Zimbabwe, which was a British colony, which was a kingdom. Therefore, I understand that today the queen might wake up and say, this is my thought or my whim or my bad day just became the law and everything about the machine called the British Kingdom will go to support that, whether the people agree with it or not, whether it's a good idea or not, right? 
But in a republic, it's different because it's like you have to elect me. So I have to, for a whole year, convince you that what I'm going to say is going to be in your best interest, right? And I'm going to parade before you and do all these things, hoping that you vote for me. And once you vote for me, I am still accountable to you. And when we notice this, um, it, it spills into everything we do. Like, look at how we even do church, right? How we do church is like, yes, there can be a pastor with a calling, but the moment he goes up there, we set a board around that person, right? And we control that pastor through the board specifically. How many of you guys know sad stories to where a pastor started something and he felt like the Lord was taking him in a certain direction, but that direction was not conducive to what the whole church wanted to say. So through the board, they relieved him of his calling and his duties. You know what I'm talking about? Why is that? It's because sociologically, we take our cues and our perspectives and our understanding from our governmental system, which is a republic. Now, the kingdom, the Bible, and Christianity were written from a kingdom perspective and a framework. That means what this book is goes, right? What he decides is the absolute truth, even though it is inconsistent with our Americanism, which then causes issues because if I don't know this book and I do not know the culture and the heart of the king then the strongest force that is going to be on the inside of me is patriotism and Americanism. And so I will always kick against this and kick against the people who are truly walking by this because their ways and their convictions and everything are inconsistent with the strongest value systems that exist on the inside of me. Right? So the initial call to the racial conversation is a call to kingdom. That is the first thing. The second thing I want to disenfranchise you guys of the notion that we are called to the racial conversation. We're not. Because race, race, in its most decent form is a segregator. What we are called to is justice. Because justice is a kingdom virtue. Where am I getting this? Let's jump into this. So... Let's say there's this king and you don't know anything about this king in the kingdom and you ask me, I'm like, okay, so tell me about this king. What is he all about? What is his kingdom all about, right? Righteousness, Psalms 89 verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne is what it says. So his kingdom is based on a throne and this throne sits on two or rather works and runs on two campaign issues and campaign policies. On one leg is righteousness, and on one leg is justice. And that is what this king talks about in everything. So as kingdom people, not as Christians, right? Because Christian is also a social marker itself. But as kingdom people, we had kingdom before we had Christians. So as kingdom people, we're called to two things, which is righteousness and justice. Righteousness means we know this king and we are in right standing with this king, right? And then justice means that anything which is inconsistent with this king's view and perspective on justice, we are called to right and to rectify. Does this make sense? So I am not interested and neither should you be in processing people's racial perspective and racial baggage if there has not been an injustice propagated because we're not called to racial equality, we're called to justice. 
See, this is important because as long as we are stuck in the quagmire of race, then we will isolate people and we will silence people and we'll shame people and we'll cancel people because they do not fit within this racial mold. You see what I'm talking about? I would have no authority to speak on the racial issue because I am essentially not from America, right? So I don't share some of the historical baggage or I'm not white American or I'm not black American. And because of that, people can cancel me, right? But the moment it becomes a kingdom conversation, then as a kingdom citizen, I am called to rise up and uphold and say, hey, like the Ghostbusters, I smell an injustice over here and that is why I am here. You see what I'm talking about? So in the George Floyd and the Ahmad, all these conversations, I felt like the Lord was calling me to have a voice, not because what's happening to black people sucks, which it does, but because there was an injustice, black, white, Asian, whatever color you are, there is something unjust about a policeman kneeling on a person's neck for as long as they did until their life expires. Does it make sense? If we take it out of our American context and we take it to the Middle East somewhere and they release a video of an American, doesn't matter if they're black, whatever, of an American being knelt on by a terrorist, there is going to be outrage. Why? Because it is unjust. So don't ever be called into, right, partisan, like bickering and all these things. No, you're a kingdom person. Therefore, you are called to the kingdom conversation. Is that okay? That's the first thing. The second thing why you should steer away from the racial conversation is that race is confusing, right? Let me ask you guys this. It's an honest question. How many of you guys are racist in this room? You're just like, bro, I'm just a racist. As soon as midnight hits, I'm getting a hood over my head. I'm going to Home Depot buying wooden crosses. Do we have any people like that here? No, right? But let me ask you this. How many people, and this is the honest conversations, have felt pressured into accepting that false identity because of everything that's happened? You don't have to raise your hand. I know that's true. I know there are some people who are just like, oh my gosh, I don't know. Well, I guess I am racist. I'm I'm woke now. I just read all these things. You know what I'm saying? Let me tell you, if the truth does not set you free, then it's not a truth worth knowing, right? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, in me going through the racial conversation or whatever, I am an equal opportunity. The Lord's working with me, y'all. But I am an equal opportunity hater of stupid people. Come on. (laughs) If you're stupid, thank you, my dude. He knows exactly. If you're stupid and you're black, I do not like you. If you're stupid and you're white, I do not like you. I do not like stupid people who do stupid things, right? (laughs) Because in our culture right now, Stupidity is, goes viral really quick and then it becomes, so no, no, stop, whatever you are and whatever color you look like, right? So let me pose a hypothesis for you guys. Let's say I'm in conversation with someone and then I just decide I don't like you because you are stupid, right? The reason I do not like you is because you are stupid. That is my projection. But your perception may be, well, because I'm black and you're white, I don't like you because you're white, therefore I am a racist. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes there are people that we just don't like because they're jerks, but because they're a different race and a color than us, they can stand on this pedestal and say, this person hates me because they're racist. No, I hate you because you're stupid. Does this make sense? (laughs) 
So it's very hard for us to determine when it comes to the racial conversation, is this conversation about race or is it about prejudice, which are two completely different things. Is it, are you projecting racism or am I perceiving racism, right? So before I move on from this, I just want to give you a very quick, what, what's helped me, what the Lord gave me, that's helped me a lot. So there's, there's racist, right? There's being racist, right? Or rather, there are racists. That's number one. Everybody say racist. There's being racist. Everybody say being racist. And then there's being ignorant. Everybody say ignorant. Everybody say ignorant. That's right, because we have some people. If you are walking around killing people because they're black or killing people they're white because they're white or burning crosses and swastikas and everything, you are a racist. Everybody say a racist. And you need Jesus. Everybody say you need Jesus. Only Jesus can go as deep as that hate is and give you a brand new heart. So there are some people who are racist, white supremacists. That is their identity, right? But where most of America and humanity exists in this second part between being racist and being ignorant. For example, right, I might say something when I first came over here, right, I might say something which I do not have racist intention, but because of my ignorance, you might misconstrue as being racist or even accurately construe. Let's go there, right? If you genuinely are curious whether Velcro sticks to my hair, right, that is an ignorant thing, right? You are ignorant that do not know, but the moment you come and ask me, that was a racist thing for you. Now, you might not have a racist bone in your body, but you just said a racist thing to me. Does it make sense? So there are some people that are like, I don't think I'm racist, but they just, I don't think I'm a racist, but they just accuse me of being a racist because I asked this. No, right? That's not necessarily the case. And then ignorant, you know what I'm talking about. Read the book of Proverbs. You guys know some ignorant people. Their hearts might be in the right place, but it's like, no, do not ask black people that. Do not touch their hair. Do not touch their radios. Just do not touch anything when it comes to black people, all right? You're welcome. I can do an altar call right now. I just saved your life. But, 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 but it, it's so, can you see how exhausting it can be to be in the weeds going, I don't know, are they racist or were they being racist or that just ignorant? Forget it, right? We are a people called to kingdom conversations and kingdom agenda. That is where our energy, that is where our exertion has to become. And our kingdom is a kingdom of the table. Every time there was a table, Jesus would come. Every time there was breaking of bread at the table, Jesus was revealed, right? The table is the answer to everything. If I've sat down at your table, I am not quick to burn down your house. Why? Because I've sat down at your table. Riots are supposed to be the language of the unheard. If I've sat down at your table, then I know you've heard me, so I cannot say you've never heard me because you are my neighbor. You see what I'm talking about? When we go back in the book of um, Psalms, he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, right? The most violent position in the kingdom, the sacrament, the communion, is, happens at a table. Emmaus, it was at the breaking of the bread at the table. I'm telling you this right now. If you have black people in this community and white people and you invite someone over to dinner, that is how 
you kill racism because racism exists in this obscure gray space between what I know to be true about you and what I am ignorant about being the truth about you specifically, right? So set the tables. That is the kingdom strategy. That is how we pass over, right? So now let's go back to this, and then um, I will, uh, I'll share two scriptures, and then we'll, we'll call Jeremy and everybody up here. But I just felt like with my family, it was important to establish a good baseline and a foundation. Amen? Is that helpful? All right, so now that we know that we're called to kingdom conversations and that we are called to com combat injustice. See, being called to kingdom, people are always trying to call us to, to this false dichotomy. Are you for us or are you against us? Are you Republican or are you Democrat? Which I feel like was the first side effect of eating from the tr tree of the knowledge of both good and evil. The fact that we begin to process binary, right? Are you this? Is it black or is it white? It's like we have a problem, right, existing within the middle space. But that's where God calls us as kingdom people to the radical middle, right? That's what happens with, um, with, with, with Joshua, right? Is it like, um, are you for us or against us? Was it Joshua or Gideon? They had a similar. Are you for us or against us? It's Joshua. Yes. It's like, neither do I come, but I am, Right? For the kingdom of the armies of the Lord. Jesus, where should we worship? In the temple, another racial conversation. Or over here. It's like neither. Because God is seeking people who will worship in spirit and in truth. So we see Jesus and we see the kingdom always calling people to the radical middle and elevating them, right? I read somewhere it says, which is so true, that in our generation, when you draw a line, you draw a crowd, right? People want to know who stands for what. They've drawn a line here. I'm going to go over to their line and I'll support them. But the kingdom conversation is right here in the middle, right? Because look at everything that we're called to be, right? Whether it's we're called to, 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 to justice, we're called to reconciliation, it's always within this. We're called to intercede, we're called to stand in the gap. We're called, we are always called to the radical middle. And whenever you feel like, right, your convictions are starting to side with this more than that and everything, that means it's a time for you to get before your father and recalibrate. You see what I'm saying? So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, there's a lot of facts out here in the world today, right? When you read the book, White Fragility, and I don't know, any of you guys ever read that book? White Fragility or like Candy, How to Be an Anti-Racist and everything. So there's a lot of these conversations that are happening and people are flocking to them because they are facts. But we are a people who are not called to facts, but called to truth. What is the difference, right? COVID is killing people. That's a fact. We serve a God who heals. That's a truth. Right? The truth will always be above the facts. But now, the challenging thing about the truth is that the truth exists in the form of a person. And if you do not know the Lord and you do not know his spirit and you're not immersed in this book, then you will be a person who chases after the facts because the facts have an aspect and an element of the truth, but they do not embody the spirit of truth. That's why in our generation as humans, you will see like whack movements, right? And, and we can go into it like this radical movement over here. It's like the sentiment is truth. Black lives matter, right? But the movement itself, when you read what they're about, it's wild stuff. It's inconsistent with this. You see what I'm saying? 
But because it's, 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 it, it, there's an element of truth, so people can rally around the facts. When you read the book White Fragility, it's a great book. But in the end, it's meant to have white people going, right? Oh my gosh, oh woe is us and everything. And it pulls them into this place of guilt. And that's never the spirit of truth. Because the spirit of truth is a spirit of identity, right? So as long as we are not familiar with the truth, the spirit of truth and the person of truth and the kingdom and its values and everything, we will always be gathering around facts. And after a while, there's no difference between the kingdom and the world. Why? Because we've built our own demi-kingdom of fact. And every single person in this room, you're called to tear down that unholy, unrighteous, cast down arguments and everything that tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of who? God, who is truth. We are being called to this place and this space of truth. So I, I, I went to the Father as I'm processing this and I'm all my face and everything. And by the way, thank you so much for that word, Bree. It was such a, man, she gave me a powerful word. It was so encouraging and so in point. But as I'm, as, as I'm going before the Father and I'm like, he says, the Holy Spirit is very honest to me, right? He's like an African teacher. I love that he speaks to me, right? He's quick to crack the whip. It's tough love. Right, because he knows that's how I get it. I love how he always encodes his languages in the, or rather his lessons in the language of our value systems. Does it make sense? Perfect. So I go to him and I'm like, Lord, where am I missing it? Right, if you're elevating me and you're opening doors and I'm speaking, and right now with the upper room just being the kingdom and cultural pastor and everything, and where am I missing it? Show me. He's like, I don't think you know the king. That was sobering to me. He said, I don't, you don't know the king. You know he's good because subjectively he's good to you, right? He gave you a great job. He gave you great friends and everything. So you know his subjective goodness, but that's, that's the father to the son. Your father is also a king, and I feel like you're not familiar with his kingdom. And I'm like, Lord, what are you talking about? And he takes me to this. Let me show you guys this. Blew my mind, and I was reading this, and my heart was broken. I was like, oh, my gosh. I do not know you. He's like, let me tell you about the domestic policy of this king. Right? Because how you see what someone is really worth is how they treat their people, right? Domestic policy as opposed to foreign policy. And I was just like, okay. So he took me to Exodus 22, right? And I'm just going to read just random things. And this is the law of who he is and what his kingdom is about. This is what he says, right? Uh, verse 22, verse 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I'll kill you with the sword and your wife shall become widows and your children are fathers. And I was like, dang, okay. All right, okay, he's serious about this. But what is the principle? Don't mistreat people, right, who are less than. I was like, okay. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor... You shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return to it before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries out to me, I will hear from him. I'm compassionate. So even if I have bad credit, the bank isn't supposed to deal with me in specific ways. That's your kingdom? Okay. Verse 23, right? You shall not fall in with, to, with the many. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. We know this because we're such a herd mentality community. You know what I'm talking about? 
It's like, so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. I'm like, okay, stuff is starting to, I'm starting to see what this kingdom is about. He's really serious about this justice thing, right? Verse 4, this was crazy, y'all. It says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. This is bad strategy. This is like in Sun Tzu, right? If my enemy's donkey is astray and I strike that, I've struck at the root of his transport system, right? That's good warfare. Yeah, but that's bad kingdom, right? He says, if you see the donkey of one who hates you, come on, terrorist, lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue him. Are you kidding me? This is his domestic policy? You shall not oppress a sojourner, a foreigner. You know the heart of a foreigner, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Every six years you sow your field, and the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, for the, so that the poor of your people may eat. Right? You do this six days, you shall do your work. Here's another one. But on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman. Okay, Chick-fil-A got something else right besides chicken, Right? But you get what I'm trying to say. He's saying even the donkeys, your animals, need rest. Why? Because that's who he is. When he says he is a God of justice, this I don't mess around in the book of Exodus. But you see what I'm saying? There is a kingdom and there is a king who cares about these things. And it makes sense because when you go back to the, to the book of James, James 5.4, and this is what I was asking the Lord. I was like, Lord, why are we still here? Why are we still here, Lord? The, 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 uh, the news feed is changing. Why are we still having those conversations? We want to go back to the happy times and everything. James 5 verse 4, he says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, I crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What? That's why we're having these conversations now. That's why all the world is here. Why? Because the cries have reached the ears of the king. I don't know why now, but it's happening because of that. My king is not moving on. And therefore, I cannot afford to move on as long as there has been an injustice. The call to the racial conversation is a call to coming back to knowing our king, to knowing his heart, to knowing how he treats his people, let me tell you something. It's whack for you to look. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but to look at me and not like me based on the color of my skin. Do you know why? Because it happened this morning. It happened last night. I stood in the presence of my father, and he just washed me with his love and his acceptance of who I am. I looked in the mirror and I saw reflected in my visage the, his pleasure over me as his divine creation, right? That he took me and he filled me with his spirit and this perspective and this mind and all these things. And he could have made me white, but he decided to show off and he went and sprinkled melanin over me. Why? Because he is pleased with his creation. I will never stand in the presence of my father and feel like he feels like he made a mistake. There is so much love that he has for me and my creation and my context and my dreadlocks and, my, and whatever it is. He looked at me and said, I have outdone myself. That is good. Yes. And if I'm not constantly coming into his presence and looking in his eyes, I cannot see that beauty and that pleasure. And therefore, the world and the hatred outside can define how I feel about who I am. 
It's not just because I'm black. You can go there and go seriously try it. Go and stand in the presence of your father with the mirror and look there and everything. I'm like, oh my gosh, you put blue in my eyes? Are you kidding me? Come on. If you're Jeremy and just like all this and dimples too? Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, God went all out when he created you. And as long as we come into his presence and let him share his pleasure with us and our ethnicity and our accents and everything, we will be the people that they're like, I don't know. I may be a racist, but they're just not moved by this. Why? Because they exist in the reality of a God who loves them. So all that to say two things. Know your father. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Know your father. You carry the DNA of dopeness on the inside of you. You know what I'm saying? And when you know him and you know that he made you and that he loves you and that he's placed his spirit and he has called you and he's not ashamed to call you his and, and you have the fullness of the Godhead dwelling on the inside of you bodily. You can walk. Let me tell you something about racial things and everything. It's, 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 it's a spirit. When you walk with the spirit of boldness and sonship, it's a cowardly spirit. It shrivels up. Come on. I know exactly what I'm talking about because in whatever room, people who don't even know would be like, there's something different about you. You know what it is? It's called sonship. Come on. Come on. Spirit of adoption. Something on the inside of me, right? I don't care what the world is saying. When I look in the mirror, something in me screams, Abba! Father! That's right. Come on. So don't get me excited. Jesus, Jesus, I'm trying to behave. I'm trying to behave. Try again. But, but, but all that to say, guys, the last thing I'll say, and Jeremy, if you don't mind, I'd love to invite you up so you can kind of take it where you want, is know your father. Because as you know your father, you begin to know yourself. And as you know yourself, you begin to carry the spirit of identity. And the spirit of racism and separation and disunity bows in the presence of people who know themselves, right? Romans 8, all this mess is happening because creation is, man, is waiting for the manifestation of sons, people who know who they are. Because when sons begin to manifest out of this closet of false humility, then people will be like, we want to be like them. We want to be, they love each other and they know they are loved. And whatever they have, that's what I want. Our, uh, the answer is not in the government. It's not outside those walls. It's in your prayer closet. And then you just walk out there and be. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you.